0: Hello, this is Frank Valvey with Frank Presents, and I would like to introduce three important individuals to the town of Franklin. Sitting beside me is Kathleen Liberty, who is the health director. Uh, across from me is Nance Alicia Sullivan, and we have an epidemiologist, Montero. Montera. I- probably have ruined some of the names, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to this program, but we're going to kind of cover some of the COVID uh, happenings in the last couple of years in various uh, ways. But first of all, I'd like each of you to kind of introduce yourself,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what you do, and, and what other comments you'd like to make.
1: Sure. Thank you for having us, Frank. Appreciate it. Um, I'm Kathleen Liberty. I'm the health director for the town of Franklin. Um, I have been here since December of 2019 and I oversee um, the epidemiologist, the public health nurse, a regional environmental health agent, uh, a health agent and an administrative assistant uh, for the town of Franklin and um, I also represent the Board of Health which is a three-member board so Bridget Sweet is the chair, Jeff Harris is the vice chair, and Timothy Cochran is the member, Um, and so that's an important role that I play in the town.
2: Yeah, so my name is Cassie Montero. Um, I'm a regional epidemiologist for the Medicomic Public Health Alliance. Um, Those towns cover Franklin, Norfolk, and Rentham. Um, My main duty in this job is to study, track, and prevent diseases in those three towns. Um, I also kind of focus on the social determinants of health, um, whether whether it be communicable diseases such as COVID-19 or foodborne illnesses to do case investigations on, or um, access to care, food insecurity, um, and other things to help the community as well, too.
3: Hi, I'm Alicia Sullivan. I'm the public health nurse for the town of Franklin. And I also help with case investigations. Any kind of communicable or infectious disease, we um, help educate the public and you know make sure that there's no spread going on. I also do home visits, help with medications, vaccine clinics if it's COVID nineteen, flu clinics, um, blood pressure clinics. We do an array of things and you know what's really important to me is we have been trying to do a lot more community education and programs like that um, so that's been a lot of fun to focus Great. on that lately.
0: What What has been your overview of the last couple of years with the coronavirus?
1: My point of view?
0: No your overview.
1: Oh my overview.
0: Overview of what has gone
1: on. Yes so the Overview for the public, for a local public health has, it's been enormous, um, an enormous undertaking in that um, the governor set um, rules and basically mandates on um, mask wearing, on um, the restaurants, uh, on retail stores, and, you know, and asked the local boards of health to enforce his, his mandates for uh, to protect the public from the coronavirus, which was an, an enormous undertaking because as you know, the governor would say, the local boards of health, but that's just the director. The local boards of health, the boards of health, they don't generally get involved with any type of activities in the health department. So this was really on myself. And at the time, the town contracted with the VNA. Um, and so we had a public health nurse Uh, or nurses that did the contact tracing and and helped me and guided me um, because everybody was calling the health department to discuss what to do and how to do it. Um, So it was quite an undertaking. um, And it had very, had a lot of layers um, because in the beginning we didn't know anything about the virus. And so I would have people calling that they were so fearful I've never experienced that before and, and how do you how do you put someone at ease knowing that this virus could be fatal if, if not you know um, if not responded to properly and so then once the, the fear came and then the mandates came and it just it was an absolute whirlwind for every health director in 351 towns and cities in the state of Massachusetts <laughs> yeah. I could go on another hour or so, <laughs> but I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> let, let me uh, say that um, the death toll nationwide is well over uh, a million uh, individuals. And the death toll of those over 65 is well over 800,000 nationwide, uh, which is like 75% that has been running. This has always seemed to be to me a senior disease it it, it may affect children it may affect younger people, but it's a senior disease and I've really never experienced the news media getting into any deep detail as as to what's happening in the senior community and where the deaths are occurring um, and maybe you know, how to prevent it. So I'd like to begin uh, by asking, uh, as an epidemiologist, what, what, uh, how have you found that coronavirus uh, affects seniors, particularly?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, so on the health department's website, um, I have a dashboard there, which um, you can see all the cases weekly, total uh, vaccination status and deaths Uh, related to COVID-19, as well as gender, age, and race. So within there, a big thing is with the deaths. Um, All deaths in Franklin since March of 2020 have been people 55 and older. Um, There hasn't been anyone younger than that. Um, But at this point, I think the most important thing um, for the older community is vaccinations. Stay up to date with vaccinations. Um, Get your primary series, get a booster dose, or your second if it's um, time for you. Um, another, we have COVID, vac, um, COVID clinics. We have one on August 10th coming up for booster doses for people. Um, I think just following the Massachusetts Department of Health guidelines to keep everyone safe. You know, wear your mask in indoor spaces around people. Try stay six feet apart. Um, don't go into crowded areas. You know, just follow those guidelines and hopefully people can stay safe.
0: How many, how many deaths have occurred in Franklin?
2: Um, I want to say I brought my dashboard. I, I want to say, say 64, sixty-five. 64, 65 yeah. I think it's a lot of data, so <laughs> can't That's remember okay. everything. Around
0: around that. Yeah,
2: sixty-four, <laughs> sixty-five. I'd say.
0: And do we do we track at all where those individuals were living? What kind of setting were they in? Uh, nursing homes? Were they uh, in uh, condos? Uh, were they in in private residence? Do we track at all uh, where those individuals were residing?
2: So I know there have been, you know, outbreaks at um, you know some assisted living communities, and but people have been in their own homes too. It's kind of all over the place. I haven't exactly. Run the data yet? We could, it's, it's a possible. Yeah, there we could are addresses
3: listed for people, and something that we keep track of we, we look for trends when we're doing our reports and being on the computer. And um, if we notice, the, we know the addresses of the assisted livings of the nursing homes in the area. So if we see mm-hmm. more than one, or even just one, we actually go and we'll call like an infection control person there or a manager, and we'll check in and see how they're doing. And at this point, because we are two years into the pandemic, they know what to do, but they still do contact, like the Department of Health, if they do need help trying to contain a spread, Um, even though, Now, compared to two years ago, where we were all having issues with having PPE in places to go and keep.
0: Oh, what is PPE?
3: Personal protective equipment. So, Uh. masks, gowns, gloves. That was an issue a few years ago. Um, You know, people reusing N95s, not having adequate personal protective equipment in hospitals and nursing homes. So now all that stuff is provided and, you know, COVID testing. It wasn't as available a few years ago. I remember I was working in the hospital when the pandemic first happened and my unit turned into a COVID unit. And I remember we really suspected someone. And it was hard to get the testing done at first because they weren't getting like better with any of the treatment that, you know, it was... It was challenging in the beginning finding what worked. Um, But now we have come so far in the past two years and something else at the Franklin Health Department. We acquired thousands, like five to Mm 6,000 iHealth, the rapid home test kits. And we have supplied, um, they're for the community, but we have supplied them to the independent livings and assisted Mm -hmm. livings just because if there's a need, we, of course, want to help.
0: In a setting like the Housing Authority here Mm. in Franklin, Senior Housing Authority, which is a pretty large complex, I'm I'm not sure how many people are there, but it's a great number, Um, that must have been a special concern of spreading. uh, How did you handle that type of situation?
3: So I actually probably go there once to twice a month right now. So I wasn't here in the beginning of the pandemic, but I do know the firefighters actually went there and gave people their vaccinations at the housing authority. And I'm actually going to be going back there August 10th to go and give boosters for anyone who wants them. Um, We also work with um, one of their coordinators there and we provided home tests to them also. And um, right now, a lot of the things that we're trying to do, like we've just been trying to do activities to kind of get people out of their homes because and I was one of these people. The pandemic made me kind of isolate. I didn't bring my kids to grocery stores or out of the house. And, you know, you kind of all got used to Mm -hmm. staying in the house, watching what you do and. Some people were probably completely isolated, especially if you're living by yourself, like in the housing authority, something like that. So, you know, we're trying to have people in a safe way come out and join us and do activities in the community building. And, you know, we provide home tests, we'll provide vaccinations, anything we can do. Because in that area, you, you do get 65 plus
1: residents there. Mm-hmm. I was going to address another challenge in the beginning of the pandemic and and through the pandemic was memory care. So assisted living that had memory care or any of the facilities where um, there may be people living there that have dementia or some type of dementia. And it seemed like those were the the folks that were getting COVID. And because they didn't know, they couldn't remember to wash their hands or socially distant, those were the people that were actually causing a problem in in these assisted living Mm -hmm. um and that was really hard because in the beginning i was dealing a lot with with um you know the infectious disease nurses and such about because once once covid hit even one person who didn't wash their hands after they coughed or sneezed or you know whatever whatever the symptoms were it would go through the the place like wildfire and it was really just you know just just heartening because we we lost 11 people in one of the facilities in a few weeks and it, it they were just dropping like flies and it was really horrifying
0: now that was early on i gather
1: yeah it was early on
0: so so based on that what did you learn and what practices might have now been put in place
1: oh so many so many learning curves you know, again, memory care, right? They had to, you know, a lot of facilities had to basically just kind of isolate those folks, you know, put them together away from the other folks that may be in a facility for, you know, rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely educate the staff. The staff was another barrier another challenge because they would have COVID and bring it into their patients, right? So there was constant Constant education. We also had, I actually had a video on the steps to take of masking, washing hands, 20 seconds, hand sanitizer, social distancing. And many facilities and stores, retail stores, establishments couldn't open until they took this this training. And this training came from the state. So it was... We also had to get the state involved with some of these facilities as well. Um, if they didn't have enough masks, they didn't have the proper you know, resources, I guess I might say, because there's so many, the state would provide these individual facilities with whatever they needed um, mm-hmm. to try and beat this challenge of losing their patients. Um, and it, 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 with COVID, they could actually be fine one minute And then the next minute not drinking, nothing, and just slide downhill, Um, as I'm sure Alicia could attest to uh, being in the hospital and losing patients. It's really um, unexpected that they go so fast.
0: Is that your experience in the hospital?
1: The first surge, we
3: definitely got a lot of people from nursing homes. And um, yeah, they didn't fare as well in the beginning. You know, the treatment options are kind of Different two years from how they were back then. Um, you you definitely saw more deaths in the beginning than you do now. You know the biggest thing that Cassia went and touched upon, especially with the vaccination. I actually have something here from the CDC. So, adults 65 years and older who were fully vaccinated with an mRNA COVID vaccine, so the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine had a 94% reduction in risk of COVID-19 hospitalizations. And even people who are only partially vaccinated had a 64% chance, like decrease from hospitalization. So those are big numbers there. So, you know, now that we have the vaccines out, different treatment options, even now, look at the Paxlovid that people, that's um, like an antiviral that they can take when they find out that they have COVID-19 if you're um, moderately at risk to go and get sick, which, uh, you know, with age, you do have people with more comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, things like that, that could make you more sick, COPD. um, So the vaccinations are important. Also, if you know, depending on what your situation is, if you're immunocompromised, you know, try to socially distance. If you feel more comfortable wearing a mask indoors, wear a mask indoors. Attend things that are outside where the chance of, you know, transmission is reduced.
0: The the uh, do we need to rethink uh, how older people over sixty 65- five how they need to live and in what types of settings they need to live in because of this disease could happen in another uh, six months. Be, you know, so do we need to think how older people should be living in what type of setting?
3: So, you know, that's a good question. Unfortunately, a lot of people who need to be in nursing homes and assisted livings, they kind of need to be there. You know, the, the option to go and be like, I'm going to go and buy a home when they may need like more monitoring or help. If it's with their medications, their activities of daily living, that's not an, you know, it's not an easy thing for people no. to do. But, but the facilities,
1: like, <clears throat> excuse me, the over 55 uh, facilities, they're really in good shape now. Yeah, they're really in good shape mm-hmm. and they, if we had an increase, they would go back to the way they were, um, you know, setting up the dining rooms, you know, social distance, they they would go right back to the practices that we put in place when the pandemic was, was rampant. Um, and I think that there's a lot of knowledge around this now. There's not, in the very beginning, no one had any understanding of why why do people need to be six feet apart, why? You know, why do I have to wash my hands for 20 seconds? Why are you telling me what to do, Um, was another thing. And so we really worked hard with these facilities, physically going there and saying, okay, you know, let's move these tables apart, you know, measure if you have to. Um, But we spent a lot of time getting these facilities in place to have this policy, right? And I requested policies <clears throat> from the facilities that I would get complaints from over 55 communities. I had people calling worried about their mother, their father that were there, things weren't being done right. Um, and so I would physically go there and say, OK, this is what we're going to do. And you're going to provide me with a written policy so I can hold you accountable.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: it's not <clears throat> it's not getting them in trouble, but it's 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 making them understand that they are um that what they do their practices affects a person's health and that was really hard to get through because we didn't have a good understanding of what the pandemic was all about the virus was about
0: even with the flu mm-hmm. i was because of the covid virus i was shocked to find out how many older people die uh from the flu right. I, I mean shocking the the number Is really quite high.
2: It is. I don't have the exact number, but yeah, it is on the it is on the higher side
0: for flu. The COVID is is going to mutate and mutate, and it's I I don't see it ever going away. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to factor it in like some sort of possible flu shot. Um, If 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 that is the case, um, we always need to be vigilant against new strains. And we need to come up with uh, effective ways of of effective injections. Mm-hmm. I, is that going to be a possibility? I mean, are we going to reach a point that every fall the COVID we got to have two shots or one shot mm-hmm. or?
1: And no one is. No one's talking about it. Yeah. No one's mentioning yeah. it. And if you if you look at the flu, right? So there's different strains every year. That we have to protect ourselves against. It's the same with the, with any virus, in the mutation process. But I'm under the understanding, and I'm not a scientist. That you know, as it mutates, it gets less and less and less dangerous. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. So I mean, I could be speaking out of terms, but and Alicia might be able to add on to that. But <clears throat> as in the very beginning, the virus was well, it was a beast. And then if you think about how it mutated mutates it mutates and each time it mutates it's it's not as it's not as bad I guess you might say in layman terms um and that's that's the mutation process with any virus yeah it's just that COVID was so severe that it it was very severe in the beginning and
3: I don't know if some of what might be factored in is a lot of people in you know older people did get it and didn't fare well with it necessarily, like the Omicron and Mm -hmm. the BA5 right now are the more dominant ones Mm -hmm. in the United States. And as we know, they're more contagious, but they're less severe. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones going around right now.
0: Well, what concerns me is we really didn't provide a whole lot of help to third world countries. And the virus uh, is still probably much more predominant there than the United States because we we haven't simply provided tools to to cut it down, and in my mind, at some point, a mutation is going to get worse. Now, I, I, this is the first time I've heard that maybe scientifically, uh, mutation tends to get less, but I would think it also could go in the other direction. I think and, there's a
3: potential yeah. for anything. And get worse. You're right. Yeah.
0: And and so one of my concerns is we need to think not only of the United States, but we got to think of how we help particularly health workers in other countries. Mm. Am I off base or?
3: No, I, I think you're right. And you know, in other countries, things could even be underreported if they don't have the same testing capabilities that we have, um, you know, even we could see a decrease in numbers, but so many people are doing the home tests now that mm-hmm. that's why you could be seeing a decrease in numbers, like statistically. Right. But I agree with you that there it, it could be an issue.
0: Besides COVID-19, I understand you're, tra- you're probably tracking other types of viruses. And what else do you track?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, any communicable disease that comes into MAVEN, which is our Massachusetts Virtual Epidemiological Network, so we get notified of any communicable diseases in Franklin, um, Rentham, and Norfolk, I also see as well. Um, but I think like the big ones um, that we can focus on are foodborne illnesses.
0: Uh, I'm um, sure what?
2: Foodborne illnesses.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I think that's a big one. So, and it's just educating the public what they should be doing, such as when you go grocery shopping, make sure you wash your fruits and vegetables. Uh, make sure you wash your hands, especially after touching raw meat. Um, don't you know cut fruit on the same board that you're cutting meat on or there's meat. Um, just wash your hands, especially after going to the bathroom, maybe changing diapers after picking up um, pet feces, uh, things like that. And what else, I think another big one is Um, Lyme disease that we see. So again, educating the community. Make sure when you're outside, you walk in the middle of a path and try not to brush up against, um, um, like bushes, wear long pants and long um, sleeves, wear light colored clothing, Um, just do a full body check, make sure there's no ticks on you. Um, Those are the biggest ones that we see um, especially that I've seen at least the past six months that I've been here. And the biggest thing is just educating the community, doing what we can to make sure um, that people don't get it. Prevention is the key. So,
0: I'm really old, and back in my day, lice was a problem in schools for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, on, on some occasions, scabies was a problem. Are those two things still a problem, or are they kind of disappeared?
3: they're not I reported yeah. they're not reportable communicable diseases oh, they're, not. they're not no Scabies so, so there's a list of what's reportable and i want to say those are not
0: who decides what's reportable
3: not me <laughs> <But> <laughs> the de- uh, it's from the massachusetts yeah. department of public health there's a a list because i keep it in my office just in case like i you know, if uh, we work closely with the schools in Franklin along with, you know, the fire station, places like that. And if they did ever have a concern, they will make sure to always contact yeah. us about yeah. anything.
0: Because monkey virus is in the news today,
2: mm-hmm. ha-
0: have any cases been reported in, in the reporting area?
2: We have not had any confirmed monkeypox cases
0: uh, in our area. In Franklin. In Franklin
2: in, yeah. 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 There's been none in Franklin.
0: But no. that is a reportable one, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. And
0: I gather special stuff would kick in place if that began to rise.
1: Oh. So. so, yeah, so this is a learning curve, right? So this mm-hmm. is brand new for us. Um, and so what we're, <clears throat> we're finding out about contact tracing <clears throat> is um, the, the, I think the hard part about monkeypox is that really until symptoms start, is when and correct me if i'm wrong so contact the, tracing. the testing is
3: also limited for monkey pop yeah. so they want you to actually have like one of the rashes like the lesions to go and be tested yeah. and that usually happens day five around after symptoms start we've been getting a lot of education about this yeah. because <laughs> obviously it is spreading um to our knowledge it's not like covid it's not airborne but you know how things are ever evolving so they won't rule out anything but it's usually contact from the lesions it can be spread by large respiratory droplets close contact things yeah. like that but the lesions are going to be the main way of spreading so like you can do things like avoid large parties where you're pressed up against people, mm-hmm. clubs, areas like that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. for like, you know, just for like community, knowing the yeah. spread. And we focus on um, even contacts have to be monitored, like a once a week check in if anyone was a close contact to someone with it. So they, they are, the Department of Health does want us to monitor everything closely.
0: I have never had much faith and my understanding of contact tracing contact tracing in my mind is that if you come down with corona virus
3: mm.
0: who have you met yeah right that to me just seemed so ridiculous and even trying to attempt to do that with the manpower and the cost uh, how wrong am i about <laughs> about that it's
3: that's a hot. lot so i worked here in january and that's when we had the highest amount of cases ever i couldn't tell i never got off the phone i never was off the phone
0: but it, it was what was it worth it i mean so is there any good out of it
3: i focus on educating people and i said you contact your close contacts you know like um in my life in particular if me or one of my children got it i would be contacting my family members And, you know, you just go back the 48 hours. So it's not like we're hanging out with many people. So it'd be easy for me to go and figure that out. But just to give people the education. um, I think that's the main part, how to help prevent household spread. Because when we call a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it'll be, you know, you talk to mom or talk to dad and they have um, three kids in the house. Oh, and grandma lives there too. So we would help teach them that. And even though a lot of people do know what to do, it's you know people are scared people are worried um especially even with this monkey pox being new you know some people you call may not even have a primary care provider so they know that they can get in touch with me and i can send them to the right place and help them with resources and it's like that with covid too you know i may not have everything off the top of my head but i do have a list of resources to try to help people and when we call them and open up communication, they do start, you know, if they have any questions, I may not have the answer for them, but I can provide them a resource. So I I understand what you mean. Contact tracing, it's too difficult, especially with the high numbers we're getting, but just to, do you have any questions about anyone in your house? Contact anyone that you know that you're around a lot. I'm not saying contact the grocery store or the post office you went to, but Let's say you work in an office and you were there the day before or you know you were with a family member Um, i would just give those people a heads up and that's all i recommend to people i do know what you mean though it's it's tedious it's crazy at this point you know people at this point should take that responsibility into their own hands and contact their own people that are in their life about it
1: well and that's what's good about the app that The mm. state came up with, so you can do your own contact tracing um, via yeah. that app. I forgot the oh, name of I it. I forgot the name of it. Yeah, too, but. I mean, but they did make you know make people accountable and say, all right, if you ha- if you've been exposed and you have it, then you know you have to let people know. Mm-hmm. That way, they can. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to spread, 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 spread. You know, I think contact tracing contact tracing is very important. Um,
3: yeah, you should care you know. about the other people's health in your life because you don't know what someone's you know circumstances if someone you know they could have a family member with cancer Mm -hmm. or you know what i was just a close contact to someone with covid maybe i'm not going to go and see my 80 year old grandmother tomorrow Mm -hmm. maybe i'll wait you know
1: or even in (laughs) in schools and daycare facilities Mm -hmm. to um it, it was an enormous undertaking for the schools to do contact tracing yes and i know you've been involved in the that poor as well. schools
3: during all that yeah it was a mm-hmm. lot
1: it was a lot but where family is involved it's important that the family is aware i think the hardest part was the quarantine some some families of, of four would have to quarantine for 30 days making it very difficult for their jobs mm-hmm. and, and you know just living in general mm-hmm. i think that was the most difficult part for families. Yeah, for I was people. one of those people. It was yeah. terrible. Almost a month. Yeah, it was you like three weeks. Waiting. It was like three
3: weeks because yeah. it took each person to go get it. You know. Yeah. It yeah. we went down the line yeah. through the
1: house. <laughs> and some people are alone, and and during isolation or quarantine, um, you know, we could offer them um, food, mm-hmm. like we could deliver food, boxes of food to them if they needed it. But a lot of people are. Didn't take us up on that offer. Maybe, you know, didn't. I I don't know why. But we worried a lot about those people in isolation and quarantine Mm -hmm. that may be alone. Um, I think that was a very difficult
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would, that that's an item that crossed my mind, particularly again for the elderly. Mm
1: -hmm. How did they get food? I mean,
0: I know stores had special hours that they could go in the morning and now it seems like a big industry to call a store and they'll put it up and you can yeah. drive by uh but that's more recent than it was during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Yeah. How, how did they get food?
3: So uh, I wasn't there in the beginning but since September of this past year a lot of people that I would call, you know, Franklin is a really great community and a lot of people had family that were helping them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of people did. Um, I remember, and this wasn't actually related to COVID, I was talking to someone, she was having her well water tested, and I remember she was wonderful, I loved talking to her on the phone, she was a lovely woman. And I was like, do you want me to bring some bottled water to your house? But she said her son was taking care of it whenever I'd call to check in with her and see how she was doing, I still asked if she needed me to bring her anything, you know? So we, you know, if people did have problems, a lot of times when we were doing the contact mm-hmm. tracing, they would communicate that stuff to us. But a lot of people seem to have family in the area, family that stepped up. But I I do agree with you, it is, you know, worrisome if they really did need something and maybe were too prideful to yeah. ask. Um, something we're actually been doing the yeah. past few months is we've partnered with the Franklin Food Pantry they're such an amazing organization in this town, and um, they're doing mobile food pantries now, and we have started that at the, um, Housing
1: Authority. The, Thank you, yeah. the Housing Authority in
3: Franklin, and we're gonna be doing that
1: once a month. Yeah,
2: we're trying mm-hmm. to address
1: food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that's that
2: was our way of partnering with them. Yeah. And I think it's, what, every fourth Wednesday? Yep. Every fourth Wednesday of the month, and they have um, shelf-stable food, produce, uh, Dairy and meat products. Yes, so many well things. Yeah, yeah, they do so a great job. I yeah.
0: have an unusual question. Have you ever heard of the Nursing Corps? And I haven't. No.
3: The Nursing Corps.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: They do. I I don't know, but in in the uh, Biden COVID relief bill, there was money that went to a Nursing Corps, and money that went to some. Local affiliate, uh, n- not necessarily here in Franklin, mm-hmm. but in the bill for uh, some sort of uh, organization that people, doctors and nurses, and formed a, like an emergency council or re- probably like the, medical yeah, medical the
3: medical reserve corps. Yeah, medical oh, reserve corps. Okay. Yeah, yeah There. We actually met great people from that mm-hmm. to help with our vaccine clinics. So. Um, We were one of the first people, you know, to go and jump on the five to 11 vaccines when that was coming out. That was like a big undertaking that we did. Mm -hmm. And we needed vaccinators because our clinics would fill up. We'd have 300 at Mm -hmm. the two big ones that we had in the beginning. And we got vaccinators from the Medical Reserve Corps to Mm -hmm. help us. And they're wonderful, have a vast, a lot of them have vast experiences. And, you know, especially the pediatric nurses, that was great to have them there to,
1: vaccinate children. Um. We belong, Franklin belongs to the greater Grafton area, the medical reserve. Um, So in the very beginning when we did the first responders uh, clinic, um, I didn't have a a public health nurse, um, so I reached out um, to the medical reserve. And as it turned out, we didn't need them at the time, but they're they're Johnny on the spot. They're wonderful. We actually still have one of our medical reserve Mm -hmm that uh, Rentham hired as uh, continuing contact tracing for us. Um, so they, they were a real lifesaver. saver. Um, I, don't, I don't think we use them for the first responders, but definitely for our, boost, our um, vaccines for the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great.
0: So that, uh, a lot of funding in, in the COVID, Biden COVID program went to them. What has filtered down to the town of Franklin from
1: uh,
0: that uh biden relief plan?
1: I think that would be more of a question for the town administrator, um, that he, he may Well, I mean that. in
0: the medical, are, are oh. you funded out of that the Biden plan? I don't think
1: so. No, no right? she's not. She's not. No. Well, you know, not that I know of. Was, we're funded, uh, the epidemiologist position is funded through the DPH, um,
0: pop, uh, uh, Department
1: of Public Health.
0: State. Yes. STATE DEPARTMENT OF PUBLIC yeah. HEALTH.
1: THEY PROVIDED um, SHARED SERVICES GRANTS mm-hmm. um, FOR TOWNS WHO WANTED TO uh, LITERALLY SHARE SERVICES. Um, THE DPH HAS ALWAYS ENCOURAGED US TO REGIONALIZE, IN A SENSE. Um, AND SO Rantham IS the, THE HOST, BASICALLY. THEY WROTE THE GRANT AND RECEIVED THE GRANT, AND THEN FRANKLIN AND Norfolk um, JOINED ON um, contracted with Rentham to um, have these yeah. services.
0: So it, it's possible, but uh, the possible. state got money. Yeah. What in your epidemiology tracking might surprise me that that uh, some numbers or some unusual I'm some sure. disease that I've never heard <laughs> of it, it pops up, or uh, is there any any? I don't a- know if I'd say... the public?
2: Unusual. I mean, I do have like a lot of COVID data if you're interested in for the town of Franklin. I mean, percentages, numbers based on age, race, gender. If you're interested in any of those, I have them here. But a lot of it's just COVID data that have been my main focus to try to get those numbers um, for Franklin. Yeah. Well, um, I-
1: what might interest you is, is the, the tick viruses. So there's... Mm-hmm not just lyme disease and that there is uh babesiosis and
3: anaplasmosis or other um like one's one's parasitic and i think another one's like bacteria cause but yeah these ticks have bacteria and can infect people lyme disease of course is the big one um, that everyone knows about and there's no case investigation that goes with lyme disease but with anaplasmosis and babesiosis people get very sick a lot of times they're hospitalized and that's how they find out that they have it because they can have like anemia liver problems things of that sort so they can become very sick so we do have to do a little bit of investigation into that
0: there's a town not far from us that they test the plies right for uh, they the, capture flies the tri-
3: it, like the Tripoli and the West Nile. Is that what you're talking? I guess mosquitoes. so <coughs> Yeah, uh, the mosquitoes, the, oh, the mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: and there's a town Not too far from us that always seems to be the first town in Massachusetts uh, that discovers that mm. uh, Is that fall under the?
3: So it is something that we monitor and right now Franklin is still considered low and I don't think any there hasn't been any test samples in Norfolk County, I think in general, that have had positive. Mm -hmm. Um, West Nile, I think you're talking about West Nile, they have found in eight different samples in Massachusetts, but nothing has been in Norfolk County to my knowledge. I Mm -hmm. I do check it once a week. I I try to do like weekly Mm -hmm. reports and I do look into that. But yeah. And the biggest thing, you know, we do education, like one of the things mm-hmm. that we focused on was Lyme disease, and I know it's a little different than the West Nile and things like that, but a part of our focus was, you know, the bug sprays and teaching about safety with bug yeah. sprays. It's not something that people even really think about. I remember when I was a kid, I'd spray myself a million times <laughs> with like mm-hmm. D, you know? Right. And you're not supposed to do that, it turns out. So yeah. we provided education at, um, the Franklin Senior Center and the Franklin Library about Lyme disease and just me focusing a lot on symptoms, what to do, and then a lot on the products because I thought that was very interesting that people might like to know.
0: This this has intrigued me about education, okay, And, and how do you educate people to different problems. I'm greatly concerned about older people being scammed. Mm. Uh, either over the phone or over the computer, yeah. And and I I haven't come up with a way that really reaches older people to to educate them. Have you found uh, problems in in trying to educate a, a vast majority of people to different programs?
3: So. I can see what you're talking about. I don't, you know, my Lyme disease might not have gotten tons of people in because it may not be something that people are interested in, but I do think places like the senior center and the library are great places to maybe host something like that. The senior center gets tons of foot traffic. Um, You know, if you went and spoke to one of the directors there and wanted to organize something like that to put out in the newsletter, I'm sure you would get great success, because I think the newsletter yeah. is is key. And if you wanted to do like a class like that on things to watch out for, because my our office is out of there, and it's yeah. a very busy senior center. They do mm-hmm. an amazing job.
0: How, how about on, uh, I'm not a computer person, mm. OK. But how about, do you develop stuff with a computer like a topic, in other words, I have Frank's music on SoundCloud, right? And and so a lot of places you just advertise or have a thing on the website. If you put in Frank's music, Falby, I'll come up. Uh, uh, do you develop uh, uh, on the computer, say Lyme disease, or or uh, or uh, uh, information for seniors on? viruses i mean is there topics that if you named a topic people that might be just searching come across to they
3: could go and get access to it yeah that's something we can definitely look into yeah. right now um the dashboard has
2: been her biggest thing yeah updating okay, statistics what's the
0: dashboard What's the
2: Um, dashboard? Yeah, yeah. so it's a COVID-19 dashboard focused on COVID-19. It has weekly cases, total cases, um, vaccinations and COVID-related deaths. Um, All of those have the people's ages, race and gender. So that's the update weekly with all percentages and everything you can (laughs) think of on there about COVID relating to each town.
0: Please put where they died, their house, you know, I think what would yeah. would really be important. Did they were they living in the house? Were they living in condos?
3: Mm-hmm. Were
0: they living at the, the yeah? We'll of, have to
3: see how I, we can do that while yeah. still protecting scene, uh, people's information. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, we can. And the, test, w-
1: the Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
0: The, what is the last thing that you'd like to make comments about? <laughs> what what it, what haven't <laughs> we covered that really? Uh, is important that that you like to talk about.
1: Well, I think you'd, I think we covered a lot, um, and I'm I'm glad we're still talking about COVID nineteen. I think that's still important because I feel like you know monkeypox is here, so COVID gets swept away. So it's still important to remember that COVID is still here, um, and it's you know it's not going anywhere either. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we discussed that and all of the communicables that we deal with. Like uh, Cassio was saying, no food safety, and we want to protect the public from um, Lyme disease or any type of tick-borne uh, viruses. More importantly, we're starting to fight food insecurity. So these these are all really, really important things that we do. I think um, I am so happy with with each individual in the health department in every role that they play. So we have an inspector who actually inspects homes as well, so we do a lot of education in the homes where we just had a case where a young child was living in possibly unsanitary conditions and we don't go in as bullies. I'd like the public to know that we go in to provide education and how can we help and what resources are you do you need or are you lacking? Um, and a lot of people, it's a when we go into their homes, it's an invasion. So and they're afraid when the board of health calls or the health department calls, with you know because we received a complaint from police, etc. But my staff is is just they're they they have empathy, they have sympathy, they're just wonderful out in the field. Um, the health agent is fantastic. So and we all address. I think we all address all of the health, public health issues um, together. Um, I, I actually kind of go outside the box a little bit, and I started doing podcasts with Steve Sherlock addressing public health issues that have increased over during the pandemic, such as domestic violence and neglect and uh, mental health, substance use. So those, those topics are still very important to me and not topics that we talk about at the dinner table. Um, so I guess, in, in I could talk about public health forever, but public health is everywhere. And, and our health department is here for our community and enormous, many, many ways mm-hmm. that we can contribute to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: if anyone has any questions too, you know, they can always reach out to us at the health department. We mm-hmm. We may have resources that they don't know are available in this town because this town does actually have a lot of resources out there for people. And nothing's too small, even though public health, you think community-wide. But I've even, you know, helped people with weekly medications and Mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, nothing is too small to see if we can go and help someone in the community.
0: Alicia what if people want to reach you, how could they do that?
3: So the um, best way to reach me would be calling my office, and the numbers is 508-613-1334. And that's my direct line.
0: All right. And Kathleen, Liberty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do they reach the Board of Health and, and you as the director?
1: Same here, 508-520-4905.
0: And does the Board of Health meet publicly?
1: Oh yes, we meet once a month.
0: And w- w- when and what time?
1: Uh, we meet the first Wednesday of every month at 5 p.m. at the town hall.
0: All right.
1: Yeah.
0: And do you, uh, uh, Cassia, deal with the public, or is most of your work uh, just statistically? No,
2: no, no, I work with the public, too. I get phone calls all the time. So if anyone ever does have any questions about COVID, any other disease, or need resources, they can call me at um, 508- You can also use that number we're handing out COVID-19 test kits to the public um, and all you have to do is drive up to the senior center give that number a call and I'll run them right out to your car as well too. Well
0: I would like to thank all of you and uh, hopefully we can uh, at some time get together again and do some follow-ups because I'd we haven't even covered the authority of the board of health, and <laughs> you know the power that you really do have a lot of power and authority in health issues.
1: Um, actually, well, yes. Yeah, so, so the board of health is actually one of the most powerful bo- boards there is, in that they set policy, yeah. um, and they can actually make um, state regulations stricter. Um, so th- th- they're. Um, I don't think they know how powerful they are, but they are, and I represent <laughs> them. Um, so I get my, my power, my duties from, from them, so.
0: <laughs> so this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents, uh, wishing you a, a great day and a healthy rest of the year. And please, uh, if you have any comments, uh, call the studio, 508-541-4118. Thank you.